0: Our series, regift, is really not looking at things from maybe, I guess you could say, a traditional view of what a re-gift is. A re-gift is something that you've received that you give away. We're not doing that. Our big idea says this, that we want to, this series, we want to renew our appreciation for the Christmas holiday, refresh our love for the traditions of Christmas, and reclaim our joy in the season of Christmas. We want to re-gift these Things to us. We want to, once again, renew, refresh, reclaim this incredible season. And the verse that is helping us during this series is Luke chapter 2, verse number 10. It says, The angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is a season, this is a season that should be filled with great joy because of the good news. The news that Jesus is born then the news that he is our Savior, is the, it's the greatest news of all. And so excitingly, we have the opportunity to re-gift this season to us because, to be honest, the busyness of our, of our season, the busyness of our culture can somewhat rob us of that. So we want to re-gift this to you. Now, when you look at Christmas, there's a lot of personalities connected to Christmas. And so I just want to, I'm just going to have the, the, the media team just bring them all up, just one after the other. Take a look at these characters of Christmas, and you're going to recognize them. These are individuals that, you know, we just kind of assume are a part of this season. You know, the, the, regardless of what you might think about them, there's some hilarity here, there's some fun. My, my two smallest granddaughters had their experience with uh, Santa this past weekend. And we had the pictures of it. And our littlest one, who's only two months old, she was great, no big deal. But Moxie, who is going to be two next month, eh, she wasn't having Santa for anything at all. She saw Santa, and the first thing she said, no, Santa, no, Santa, don't want this. So, but these are big personalities, big personalities. But often, this becomes what defines personalities for us. And but when you but in reality, there are some characters to Christmas that I think define it even better for us. For example, the innkeeper, the innkeeper. Now, if, if you're familiar at all with the Christmas story, you know that Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of an edict that Caesar Augustus had issued. He said, you've got to return for a tax. You've got to go back to your, your city of heritage. And that was the city of heritage for Joseph. So he had to travel to Bethlehem. It's about 95 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, he had to get there. And so everybody's doing this, this census and this tax that was going to be paid. Cities were crowded. And so the innkeeper, he's in a place to put him. He's not a bad guy. He's just a business guy trying to conduct business. But he was overwhelmed, probably a little bit of overworked. He didn't know what to do. Now, all he had was a stable. So he allowed them a place in the stable to have eventually the child to be born. The innkeeper is a significant personality. Another would be the shepherds, of course. And I I read something this week, and I couldn't independently confirm it, but I thought it was interesting that this one particular individual, uh, based upon what is somewhat normal in Israel today, shepherds are teenagers. And many of them were were females today, probably not so much in the first century. But that being the teenagers I thought was interesting, because often we look at the shepherds as being mature individuals. But they may have been teenagers. It may have been young men 13, 14, 15 years old. So you can imagine when the angels show up what that would do to a 13, 14, 15 year old, but still they were the ones who took the message of the birth of Jesus, the first ones to proclaim that extraordinary message? They were blue-collar workers. These were regular people. They probably didn't have a lot of education. In some respects, they were just son of the, kind of the, the, the downside of, of the populace, as it were. Well then there's two elderly folks by the name of Simeon and Anna, and we see them when Jesus was presented at the temple. Simeon pronounces a blessing over Jesus. And then we, we learn that Anna's about 84 years old at that point. And she does the same thing. She blesses this child. Great personalities. The, the magi or the wise men, as we might, as we might remember them or think of them. A two-year journey, most likely, from the time they saw the star appear till the time that they found the young child in Bethlehem. I mean, think about it. That's, that's extraordinary. Great personalities. And then there's a, there's a bad guy in this whole thing, and his name is Herod. And he was, by every, by every description, he was not a good guy by, by any means. In fact, let me just read a little bit about him. He was a murderous, immoral, barbaric individual. Now, that is quite a, that's quite a resume, isn't it? And listen to this. He was so paranoid about his remaining position as king, retaining his position as king, he had his wife, her two sons, and his mother-in-law killed. I mean, this, this is a bad dude in every way. Then, then Augustus Caesar, this is what he said of Herod, said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be a member of his family. Why? Why did he say that? Because Herod didn't eat pork. So it was safer for the pig than for the family. Can you imagine? I mean, this, this is a despicable character, but he's yet a big personality in all of it, isn't he? You can't have the story without these personalities. They're all over the story. And then, of course, Mary. I mean, here's a young girl, maybe 13, 14 years old, who has this amazing encounter with an angel. And she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Wow, she was considered to be highly favored. These are just great stories, but it's interesting, you look at these personalities, you look at what they bring, they bring into the story, and if you were to define the word personality, the word personality means a visible aspect of one's character as it impresses others. And one more time, the visible aspect of one's character as it impresses others. Now, the title of the message this morning is Personality Plus. Now, I chose this very intentionally. When you look at what personality means, the character that's observable, but then I want to add plus to it. We're going to take this personality and we're going to upsize this. There's a character in this story that has a personality plus. There's so much more connected to this character than sometimes we may even believe or think. So today we're going to talk about him. His name's Joseph. His name's Joseph. We're going to look at this from Matthew chapter 1. His story is found there, Matthew 1, verse number 18. So look at it with me if you would. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will, give a, she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke, woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. He did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph, named him Jesus. Father, I pray that you'll speak encouragement to us, challenge from your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is Joseph? Who is he? Well, he's the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus. It's interesting, there's not much said about him in the Bible. Uh, This is basically what we know of Joseph. Uh, He, in fact... I have a book in my office titled Men of the Bible. Now, think about that. Men of the Bible. Joseph's not in it. Now, as far as my reading is concerned, he's a man and he's in the Bible. But he's not in that book. In fact, there's just not much written about him. The song, the the carol that we sang this morning, Angels We Have Heard on High, is the only carol with his name even mentioned in it. And if you notice, it's just his name. Nothing else. Now, Mary's everywhere, and that's fine, but Joseph's just nowhere to be seen. And in fact, many of the hymnals that contain that, hymn, uh, that uh, Christmas hymn, that carol, they, they omit that verse. So, I mean, he's just like the forgotten man of the Bible, but he's not. There's so much more. Uh, he, he was from the royal family, the royal line of David. He was a carpenter by trade. He was poor. You say, well, how do you know he was poor? When Mary and Joseph present Jesus at the temple, there was the Old Testament law said that you were to present a lamb when you were presenting the child. You present a lamb as a sacrifice. But if you were too poor, you didn't have to present a lamb, you would present a turtle, two doves, or a pigeon. They presented doves, indicating that they did not have the financial wherewithal to give a lamb. So they're poor individuals. They're also really young, by the way. You kind of figure that out. Joseph was a teenager. Mary was maybe 13, 14 years old. Joseph was maybe 16, 17 years old. These are kids trying to navigate this very unique and extraordinary event in their life. Uh, He was pledged. They were pledged to be married. Now, that pledge is interesting This was an arranged marriage. Their parents had set the marriage up probably some years beforehand. And now, pledged to be married, that pledge, that betrothal, would last approximately a year. In that period of time, this would really prove their faith and commitment to one another. They would be considered husband and wife, but they would not live together. And after the year or so, then we'd have a formal ceremony, and then they would live together, and they would consummate the marriage. That's That's the way this worked. Now, put yourself into Joseph's shoes for a moment. He's pledged to be married to Mary. Mary comes to him one day and says, I'm pregnant. And Joseph says, It's what? And then he says, It's not me. And then Mary says, God. And he goes, excuse me? Let's run this by one more time. Can you just imagine how that conversation went? What he said, what she said, what he asked, how she responded. I can't. And he's 17 years old. He's trying to figure this all out. You can only imagine of what may be going through his mind. And in fact, you see, this pledge was sacred. There was no way to break the pledge unless you went through a formal divorce. But add to this that the fact that she's pregnant, it's more complex even so. Because the Old Testament law said that if someone had been unfaithful and now pregnant, the response of the community was to stone her. Joseph is faced with this. What am I going to do? How am I going to navigate this? I didn't sign on for this. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? Well, what is fascinating about his character, his personality, because he, what, what, what we see in the story is his personality plus. He, he, has, he has a plus-sized personality. There are, some, there are some things in his life that are just amazing, and we see that. And so just this phrase, the truth of your character is expressed with the choice of your actions. The truth of your character is expressed through the choice of your actions. And Joseph shows through his life he has a plus-size character. And it's for others to see. And so today, what I want to do this morning is I want to re-gift to you Joseph. Joseph. So three thoughts today. The first is this. Joseph was righteous. He was righteous. And it's really phenomenal to me when I think about this. Again, he's a young man. Now, in Judaism, he would have, a, when he was called righteous, and here's what that would have meant. It just meant that it was viewed as being, he would, behavioral conformity to the law of God. The law of Moses that was there, The in Judaism, if you obeyed the law, you would be considered righteous. So that's where you would you would take this. So, in other translations, <clears throat> when it says righteous, it would also translate it this way that he was faithful to the law. So, it tells me that he was righteous according to the standards of his day. What was expected of him, that's how he lived. Now, I'm challenged by that because I look at my life today and I would ask myself this question Would I be considered righteous? Now, I'm not asking for someone to, to say that of me. I'm just saying, am I, under the standards of my day, under the grace that is available to me in Christ, under what I understand, my relationship with Jesus, am I living in a way that I am in right relationship with God? Am I righteous? Am I righteous? You see, there's a few things about righteousness that I think we can see in Joseph's Slice. The first is this, is that living righteously is not achieved by my actions by what, but by what God has done. Now, when you look at Joseph, Joseph only had the law. That's all he had to go on. But he was being obedient to the law, therefore he was declared righteous by what he was doing. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, speaking to us today. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So Paul points out immediately that this old, this old system isn't completely adequate. Nonetheless, under that system, Joseph was righteous. Paul goes on. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And when we begin to read God's word, we begin to see the standard of God. We see the nature and the character of God. Hear this carefully. The word of God shows us clearly what God is like, his character. And then the word shows us what we're like. Now, can I just be perfectly honest? We don't measure up to that. That's what Paul's saying. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now, look, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. we get ready for something exciting. This is going to give you an opportunity to say like amen or grunt at me, okay? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are, for everyone has sinned. We fall, fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That is good. See, we're right with God not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. We can't ever do enough to please God and to get in right standing with God. It ain't going to work. We do this because of the grace of God. Wow, we can be righteous because of what Christ has done. The second thing of righteousness, living righteously shows itself in selfless living. You see, Joseph had every right to divorce Mary. She was pregnant and her story, her story was from an angel that God had done this. Think about that for a moment. That's hard to believe. That's hard to believe for anybody. Joseph had the right to hear this. He had the right to do something, but he chose the selfless side rather than the selfish side. And I love the way that Matthew phrases this. Speaking of Joseph, he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He could have humiliated her by just saying, no, you're you're pregnant, I don't want anything to do with you, this is done, you have broken it. And you know something? In the sight of everyone that knew Joseph, he was justified. But he didn't do it. He, He honored her when he could have disgraced her. Romans chapter 12 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, we set ourselves aside. We honor someone else. Craig Rochelle would say it this way. Honor is a gift you freely give. It's a gift to us and we give it away. And then the last part of righteousness is living righteously. This may be a little awkward the way it's phrased, but catch the meaning. Living righteously. Pursue it and be blessed by it. It stands to reason that Joseph being described as a righteous man had pursued a godly righteousness through the standards that he had, but he pursued it. 30 years, about 30 years later, after the birth of Jesus, Jesus would write, he would say these words in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then in chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you well. Make no mistake, there is a blessing connected to righteous living. To being righteous, for pursuing righteousness. Joseph did that, I believe. I'm struck, though, as I, as I, with this thought. I know that Jesus was in constant communication with his heavenly father. I understand that. And I understand that as he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, this is something revealed to him from God. I get that. But I wonder, did he ever see the righteousness of his earthly father? I believe that he did. If Joseph was characterized as a righteous man, I believe that when Jesus was 3, 6, 11, 12, 13, 15, his teenage years, 21, 23. Whatever age it was, we have no information about him except when he was age 12 and he went to the temple. That's the only information we have about his, his childhood and his adolescence. We have no other information. I just can't help believe that if Joseph was a righteous man that Jesus as his son would not have seen it. I believe that he would have and it speaks strongly to me. Am I living a righteous life so that others see in me the character of God? Am I living in a way that I remain right with God? God, so that my life is an example to others. What a challenge. I believe we can see that in his life by being characterized as a righteous man. The second thing about Joseph is that Joseph willingly embraced the supernatural. <coughs> and over the years, I've, as I've read and studied the story of Christmas, I'm never, this part has never really stuck with me until this, until this uh, message, in the preparation of this message, Supernatural. You know, in the middle of all the processing that he is having conversations with Mary and all that has happened to Mary, Mary has had a supernatural encounter. Said so this child is, is birthed or is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph has his own supernatural moment when an angel comes to him in a dream. And his response is really good. The, the angel tells him, Everything that Mary has said, this is my own paraphrase, everything that Mary has said is true. You're good. Just follow through with this. And then this is what we read of Joseph. And he did what the angel commanded him. He willingly embraced this supernatural moment. And it, and I wonder if we're willing to do the same. Now, let's just be honest for a second. Our, our society, our culture is kind of Fascinated with the supernatural. Now, I'm going to put supernatural in quotes, okay? Because I think what happens is we begin to define supernatural a little bit like the, the culture around us does. And let me give you an example. I'm, Marcy and I don't go to a lot of movies, but once in a while we do. And it never seems to, it never fails that there's some preview of some creepy, goofy, perverted supernatural thing. I don't know how else to say it. And we'll say something like this, kind of in jest. Well, we won't be seeing that movie. I have, honestly, I have no desire, zero desire, to see society's definition of what they believe supernatural is because it is not what I'm talking about. It's not what God's word declares as being supernatural. But I do believe 100% in the supernatural power of God. I believe God wants to do something amazing in our life outside of the natural. I believe that. And, and what is, you look at Acts chapter two, verse 17 of the day of Pentecost, this is what we read. This is what Peter said. He wrote, he, he quoted from the, the book of Joel. He said, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will what? See visions and your old men will dream dreams. Supernatural means of relating to or being above or beyond what is natural. Unexplainable by natural law or phenomena or which is, that is, which is abnormal. I'm going to just say this. If you are saved this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have experienced the supernatural because Jesus Christ 21 centuries ago gave his life for us on a cross and today, all of these centuries later, what Jesus did affected my life, your eternal life. He saved us by what he has done. That's supernatural. That's outside the realm of the natural. I believe it when We pray. We're believing God to act outside the natural. When we trust, when we trust and obey the word of God, we're embracing the supernatural. Everything we believe and hold true is based on an embrace of the supernatural. And maybe the greatest supernatural event of all, we sang about it. We'll sing about it in just a few moments. The resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. But tell me this, Paul says, since we preached that Christ rose from the dead. Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Man. And we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead of the dead. But And if there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is the only for this life, we are more, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised From the dead. You see, everything that we believe is based upon that which is supernatural that God raised Jesus from the dead. He is alive today, and you and I are forgiven and assured of life now and for eternity because of the supernatural. Are we willing to embrace it? But see, it's not just that. We can embrace the supernatural in every aspect of our lives for decision and direction, for miracles in your life, for provision, for that person in your life who so desperately needs God. Let me tell you, God is able to do that supernaturally. A.W. Tozer made this great remark. He said, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity We plan only the things we can do for ourselves. Wow. Wow. Joseph had a supernatural moment. He embraced it. Will we embrace ours? And lastly this morning, he was righteous. He willingly embraced the supernatural. And third, he was obedient. Joseph was obedient. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. What an adventure for Joseph. Pledged to be married Mary ends up pregnant. You know the story. We've been over it a couple of times. And that's a lot to take in for a young man. But he's obedient to what the angel said. He obeyed. And what do we learn from that? I think the first thing that we learn about his obedience is that there is a godly resolve as we obey. There's something that happens, it's like a a, a switch is flipped. You, you, You obey the Lord, and something happens. You get resolved to follow through. You get it done. But you see, what flips the switch is our obedience. Our obedience. We do as we are commanded, and then there's a resolve to see it through. And so I just wonder this morning what might be, what what might God be saying to you that that act of obedience? Maybe it's to change. Just that simple. You've been going down a path for a really long time. You've just been going that way. And let me just, can we just be honest for a second? It's a mess. It's just an utter mess. But you just, I'm just keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm just keep going down that road. And it just gets messier and messier. Maybe. Maybe God, by his Spirit, the supernatural moment for you is to say, Right now, it's time to make a change and surrender my life to Jesus Christ and let him begin to direct my paths. To change. You see, it creates a resolve when we obey. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to go. Maybe it's to trust, to give, to be, to live. What is it? What is it? Deuteronomy 4 says, I do, do not add to what I command you. Don't subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Psalm 119, I love this. Psalm 119, verse 60 says, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. When God speaks, is that our response? I will hasten and not delay. I'm not going to wait. I'll just wait another four or five minutes, four or five days Four or five weeks. You know, when I really get through all of this, then I'll do this. I will hasten and not delay. And then one more, 1 John 5. We show our love for God by obeying his commandments, and they're not hard to follow. That's marvelous. Second part of his obedience is the purposes of God become increasingly clear as we obey. Sometimes we wonder, what's God up to? What's he doing? If I I obey, if I don't hasten, if I don't delay my obedience, what are you up to? Remember what the angel told him. That the Holy Spirit was at work in Mary's pregnancy. Okay? This is God. God's at work here. And then the angel said to Joseph, you are to name him Jesus. Now, what does, the, what does the name Jesus mean? It means Yahweh is salvation. You are to name him salvation. Because he will save his people from their sins. Something's happening as he obeys. When he obeys, remember, he wakes up and he does what the angel commanded him to do. There's an aha moment. God is at work in something greater than I can initially see. Obedience sets that into motion. It's not that we learn it all beforehand, but when we obey, then it sets it in motion. We begin to see what God is doing. God's purposes will be accomplished in spite of us. How much better it is for us to obey and and then gain clarity And all that God is doing. God's going to be glorified in what he does. I want more clarity. My obedience will lead me there. And the last part of obedience is that our priorities adjust as we obey. Our priorities adjust. Not not exactly sure how long Joseph and Mary lived together before their trip to Bethlehem. But it it was once the pledge period of time ended... They would have a formal ceremony and be married. And then they would cohabitate. They wouldn't live together until that formal ceremony. You say, but why is that significant? Because they remained abstinent until after the birth of Jesus. And that is a statement. such a statement of character on Joseph's part. It's selfless. It's selfless character. His character, it's plussed up. His personality is plussed up. You see, not only was there abstinence here, but in the midst of this account in Matthew, what do we read in chapter, in this account? We read of the prophecy from Isaiah 7 and verse 14. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This act of continuing obedience preserved for all time the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ, that God in his perfection actually did become a man. Understand this, and it affirms the sinlessness of our sacrifice, Jesus. He is the perfect, spotless lamb that would bear our sins, and we would be forgiven once and for all. That's all at work right here as Joseph is obedient, as his priorities adjust, as he obeys. I think our hesitation to obey is often not due, is, is often due to not being willing to conform our priorities to God. We just don't want to do what God is saying. We just don't want to. Are we willing? Are we willing to pray like Jesus would pray? In Matthew 26, he went a little further, bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done. Not mine. Let that be our prayer. Obedience to God will bring blessings to you and to others. What a regift Joseph is to us. A personality plus. You know, he was righteous. He, he embraced a, a supernatural moment willingly, and he was obedient. I wonder, I wonder what might God be saying to us once again to renew. This whole regift is to renew our appreciation for the Christmas holiday, refresh our love for the traditions of Christmas and to reclaim our joy for the season. So my re-gift to us this morning is simply Joseph. Don't look at him ever the same. What an incredible personality he was. And he was a personality plus. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that today would be a day where we take a look in in our own lives to our own standard of righteousness, to, Lord, the level of how we embrace the supernatural, how we live our life of obedience. Joseph is a great example of those. I pray that our life would be measured. Measured not necessarily by Joseph, but, but what we learn from his life in your word. We thank you. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.